Hello, and welcome to Ask Matt. I'm Eugene Cordero, Professor of Meteorology and Climate Science at San Jose State University and founder and director of Green Ninja, a middle school publisher that uses climate and environmental solutions as a lens for teaching science and engineering. I'm here with Matt Delasio, geology professor from Cal State Northridge, national NGSX expert, and one of the chief authors of the 2016 California Science Framework. The general format of the show works like this. I ask Matt questions about science, science education, and NGSS, and together we'll all learn something about education and how to make this transition to NGSS easier and more effective for everyone. In today's episode, we're going to discuss a new project Matt and I have recently undertook, creating a free series of climate change lessons that teachers can use. As usual, if you have any of your own questions, just send them to info at greenninja.org, and we'll include those questions in a future episode. So let's get started. Hi, Matt. Great to be back together for another podcast. Yeah, it's been so long. It has been quite a long time. Hey, is there something unique about today's show? I can see you. I, yeah. We're actually in the same place, I mean. <laughs> we're actually together. This is the first time that we've recorded a podcast in the same room. Not because of COVID, but because we live in different cities, different parts of California. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Today, I wanted to introduce this episode with my own personal anecdote. Almost exactly a year ago, during the New York City Climate Week, I participated in an event called 10,000 Teachers, an initiative to get 10,000 teachers from around the world to start teaching climate change in their classrooms. In this day-long event, one of the recurring themes that we heard in the chat was that many teachers didn't have access to good quality materials to engage their students around the topic of climate change. Matt, have you had similar experience? Is there ample climate change materials out there to meet teacher demand? Well, there's kind of a yes and a no. There are so many different pieces out there of some really good pieces of this activity or a really good thing of that, a really good documentary, but there's not a single good coherent package that somebody could go to and say this ties together. So uh, somebody could, if they wanted to spend the time, cobble together some really amazing resources that do exist. But that's the first problem is getting them to flow together. And the second problem is the level of them. Uh, many of them are, are pitched at the wrong level, too high a level oftentimes for our college students. Uh, lots of great activities for college students. But trying to get something that's targeted that we can use in our elementary schools, our middle schools, uh, our high schools, we, we don't have necessarily the same choice. Yeah, and, and the Internet's a big place. And where do you go to find these things? Yeah. So with that in mind, Matt and I decided to create a free and open series of lessons on climate change that could help teachers get started with this topic. We're offering this through the Green Ninja website, www.greenninja.org, and just click on the Climate Change Unit tab, and you don't have to log in or register. You could just download and use. It's right there at the top. It's right there. So you can, um, and we didn't want folks to have to register or do anything. We just wanted this to be open for people. So Matt, can you give us a quick overview? What, the, what is the unit about? Well, we really want to give our students an understanding of some real impacts of climate change that are happening that are not necessarily the huge and scary things, just something that is very personal that they can relate to and give them the science that they need to understand what's going on, why that's happening, and then try and see how they can actually take action. 
Uh, so our, our story begins with uh, the story of a, of a middle school girl, uh, and her name is Alejandra, and she sees these butterflies my, uh, flying, fluttering by while she's playing soccer, and it makes her think about something that happened with her family. Her mom and dad grew up in a place where there were lots and lots of butterflies uh, down in Mexico, uh, where she lived. her family lived in the mountains, and butterflies migrated to that spot each and every year, and she it gets to go visit one year, and she is so excited. She looks forward to seeing them. She's heard so much about this from her parents, and she goes there to visit, and the monarch butterflies haven't come yet. They haven't arrived, and she's so disappointed, and she is the, the framework for the entire lesson sequence is her trying to figure out what is happening. Why didn't the butterflies come? She has to leave Mexico to go back to her house here in America and go back to school, and she asks her teacher, what happened there? Why didn't they come? They eventually do come, don't worry, uh, but much later than anticipated. And so she wants to figure out what's going on. Yeah, and that's what sets the stage for a series of lessons where Alejandra and, and other people are exploring this. So to give folks uh, an idea of how that kind of storyline evolves and moves through a series of different lessons, um, Matt, can you take us through just the kind of quick overview of each of the chapters, starting with chapter one? Uh, there's six different chapters in this uh, series, this lesson sequences. And uh, chapter one has two lessons. It's called Introduction to the Monarchs. Yeah, and, and we should say that this is this is something like maybe three weeks or so of instruction that we've designed this for. It's got an assessment at the end that maybe adds a little bit more time. You, you know, everything. We, as we understand always with teachers, things can get longer or shorter as, as life goes. Usually um, longer, right? Yeah. In the classroom. <laughs> um, but we start off just with, uh, it, like I said, setting this story up for people, uh, giving them the chance to to meet Alejandra and hear her experience, uh, and then getting really into some rich data already and looking at uh, what we know about monarchs and when they're arriving in different places and uh, asking the question, what's causing them to arrive later and later in, in the fall uh, in different spots uh, and giving us a chance to look, is it is it the rain? Is it the wind? Is it the temperature? And uh, spoiler alert with our climate change. In this particular case, it's the temperature. Uh, it seems like there's something going on with that. So that leads us into chapter two, where we're really trying to tie temperature and uh, together and understand exactly what's going on. What What is temperature? What does it mean to have more heat in the atmosphere? And we look at that from sort of a physical science perspective, but then also try and see if we can see if there's any evidence of changes in in the earth system that we can see data uh, for. One of the, you mentioned data, and one of the things I really like about the beginning is that we're looking at actual um, migration counts of monarchs all throughout North America. Yeah, and we use maps and we use graphs, and we have a lot of emphasis on helping the students learn to interpret the graphs, trying to think about what does the graph mean, what does the map mean, how the two, how do the two relate. Uh, so that's that's a, a big design goal early on. Um, we know that uh, we, we sort of established in Chapter 2 that the Earth is warming. We're pretty sure of that. We've got some good data for that. Now let's try and jump into models of why is that happening? What's going on with our atmosphere? Uh, how is the energy flow uh, changing in on Earth uh, and, and related to some of the things that we are doing? Which then ties into Chapter 4 is the what's the we, the human activities, and how do human activities uh, influence this whole system? We're trying to figure out what's leading the monarch butterflies to, to, to have problems. But in the process, we learn about all the other things that humans are doing and all the other impacts that they're having uh, within the system. And that gets us through you know, day 13 or so at the end of chapter four. Chapter five, 
we are starting to take action. We need to make sure that we don't just leave this as as a, uh, a, a sort as of a, a dead end, a right? dead end here. Uh, and so we really want to give our students the chance to come up with creative ideas. They've heard about all the different problems and all the different things that are contributing to those problems, but now they have a chance to pitch their idea at the Save the Monarchs Action Conference. Uh, and uh, learn about uh, pitch ideas and also learn about some scientists that, that are doing this in real life and how they're doing it. And that's, um, although in Chapter 5 it's only two lessons, it could be much longer. That's a, a more of an open-ended culminating project that students are going to work on. And if you can give students more time to come up with even more creative ideas or start to test them or develop prototypes or invite their family to come in, in here to participate in the conference, those are all things that can be really impactful in the classroom. And then the last chapter, number six? Well, the last bit is, is basically is the assessment where we're giving a chance for the students to really uh, look at some new scenarios, some related scenarios, and really see if they can do the same things that we did before. Can they interpret the data? Can they figure out the, the, the cause and effect relationships? And we're assessing their understanding. So this is not just a cookie cutter, multiple choice Three-question final assessment. No, what, what is the definition of a monarch or whatever? <laughs> We're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. um, anyhow, so that's a quick overview of the unit. Uh, Matt, can you share with our folks, our audience today, the, some of the design things that we thought about um, when getting started? Well, this is a lot of this. A lot of this comes from from Eugene and your vision here. So we should uh, give credit where credit is due. Really trying to make sure that we are telling a story that somebody can relate to. And I, actually, this is something you don't know about Alejandra and this butterflies is that Alejandra is actually. I, I, for those of you who don't know, I have uh, an, an adopted daughter, um, and she was taken uh, from a foster care system. And her father is from Michoacan, Mexico, where uh, this is this takes place. Uh, and his name is Alejandro. And so I wanted to have a little girl uh, th that was named Alejandra in this story. Um, but it's because I have a personal connection to this place that this means something to me. And we wanted to build that personal connection for our, our, our students that are in this, starting with a very real person who has this very real experience and making sure that she and vicariously, our students along the way are really getting a chance to feel that. And that was, you know, the empathy for the environment um, and for what's going on is, is kind of one of our big design goals of this. Yes, we want to learn about energy transfer and energy balance in the Earth system and all the different interactions. Yes, we want those things. But bottom line, those don't have meaning unless our students are really feeling uh, feeling what's going on and feeling like, gosh, there's something that we need to do. And so we built it with that in mind. Um, we built it for middle school students because uh, like so much of uh, what the research tells us is that middle school is this pivotal moment in, in kids' lives uh, where they choose uh, you know, where they're going to go and whether they're a science person or not. It's happening right around the time of early middle school. So that's our target. That's who Alejandra is in our character in our story. And that's who we want our, you know, the students that are targeted towards this. And we wanted to make this accessible to teachers as much as we could in so many, you know, with all the different things that are happening in the world right now. How are they going to be teaching online or face to face? I don't know. Everybody's different right now. And, and so we wanted to make it work for all of those environments as best we could. And the other thing is that while Eugene and I could talk about climate for, well, our entire careers, as, as yeah. in Eugene's case, um, we wanted to make this a 
useful chunk that a teacher could actually devote the time to, even if they had a different curriculum that they were using in their classroom regularly. Uh, so we chose this sort of three-week ideal timeline, knowing that maybe it should take longer to do it really well, but that we thought that a, a teacher might be willing to invest three weeks in this, but not much more than that, and much less than that, and it just it just wouldn't be you wouldn't be able to get at. You'd have to cut out one thing. You'd have to cut out the story. You'd have to cut out the causes of climate change, or you'd have to cut out the effects of climate change, or you'd have to cut out the actions. The students you, you needed at least this amount of time. So that's kind of our our sweet spot for things. And of course, we wanted to make sure that this was very closely aligned to the spirit of the next generation science standards and you know, our cross-cutting concepts, thinking about those. You've heard me use a lot of NGSS buzzwords here just because naturally, because that's what I do. It just comes out of here. It just comes out. <laughs> um, but, but making sure that you know, that's, uh, you know, back to the question about the curriculum that's available. There's lots of curriculum about climate that's available. There's fantastic stuff, but does it really capture the spirit of NGSS and having our students discovering things about climate change, not a lot of it does. Even the stuff that's really seems kind of neat and kind of cool, a lot of it is not really meeting the needs of NGSS of phenomenon-based and uh, using practices and cross-cutting concepts. I remember when we started this project, Matt, I said, hey, so we've worked on the middle school science curriculum at Green Ninja for the last so many years. What, let's put our minds together. What's the best we could do or, and, and create this open unit for, for teachers using what we've learned. And, and thanks for especially sharing that empathy piece, because I remember we, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out how do we develop empathy and, and, and the butterfly and the story of Alejandro, which you came up with, was I think the, was a great tool for that. Even if a child like, wasn't super excited about butterflies, um, seeing that Alejandra is and following her story um, I think can resonate with students. We, we will see. Yeah. Right? I mean, the reason that Eugene is, is here in the same room as me is because we're doing professional development with teachers right now for one of the districts that we work with. And uh, one of the sixth grade teachers that we talked to uh, this week, I, it was, she said, if there's no purpose to the learning, then the students don't get anything out of it. And she, was, she said it more eloquently than that, but really this idea that it needs to have a purpose or it's just, it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, we did our best with that, and I, I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was a fun, fun process. Um, Matt, what do you think would be the most challenging part for a teacher to use these lessons uh, in their own classroom? We know that a lot of teachers feel very uncomfortable teaching about climate change because they don't know. It's such a complicated topic, and they just don't feel like they know enough about it. And uh, I sympathize with that, uh, and we're hoping that it's not just going to be picked off the shelf by the teachers that already know about this and are already feeling comfortable. We designed it hoping that, that folks would take this off the shelf so that they could learn alongside their students and that's a big lift, I know, uh, but that's, that is what we are hoping for so that people feel comfortable doing this. That's what they're going to have the hardest time doing is just yeah. being brave enough and finding the time, of course, in their curriculum. Uh, nobody has infinite time in, during the school year. Yeah. So, but it's worth it. It is worth it. I think, I think this, would be, this would be a great unit. On our website, uh, we do provide not only access to the content, but some overviews, and, and we're trying to provide a little bit of support. One of the things in there, Matt, it says that in the notes on the lesson plan that they can be used, that the delivery platform can be used both for synchronous or asynchronous or hybrid instruction. Can you explain how this might work? You know, this is something we learned when we were trying to support the schools that are using Green Ninja and over the, the pandemic, and they were all, of course, you know, fully online. And we needed to figure out how can we help them 
do that. And so we developed these slide decks that are kind of interactive in some ways where the students are, are asked questions and given prompts and then they can drag things out of the way to get answers. And we was like, this is actually a pretty neat way to do things. And the prompts are there. So if the student is doing it on their own asynchronously, they can answer them and try their best. They won't get you know, direct feedback uh, all the time, but we do have these little boxes that they can when they when they do type something in, they get some generic generic feedback that you know, addresses common student misconceptions or common student responses and and tries to help them sort of address those. But if this is a face to face class or a synchronous class, we the teacher can sort of say those same prompts, uh, and maybe they're using the, the the slide deck that's on Green Ninja's website to grab the the answers, or maybe they're doing it as a class discussion, or maybe they're using one of the other technology tools that they've got. Uh, there's lots of different options for that, and uh, just the idea is that we wanted to provide the structure for the what's, what prompts, what questions we think will help drive this story forward, uh, and enough that it's clear enough that a student could do it on their own, but obviously when they have the direct feedback of a, of a teacher that's there and interacting with them and hearing their response and, and helping build, you know, getting two students to respond to things and building those responses mm-hmm. together, obviously that, that's going to be more effective, but at the very least they can proceed without that interaction. That, that's what we've got posted on the website. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then one more question about this, Matt, in terms of having this unit open and free to everyone, what are the pros and cons of that? The pros are that everybody should be teaching about climate. We need to be moving forward. We need to be making, yeah, sure, you don't have time in your curriculum. Nobody does. But what's more important than making sure that your students are preparing themselves for the future? And this is, we all are starting to basically need to prioritize this. They're seeing this with our finances in our country. And we're seeing this with our, I feel like with our classroom. And we want to basically, we want to be able to provide something that everybody can say, gosh, I really should be devoting time to climate. How will I do that? Let me pull this unit in, even though it's not in my, not in my textbook, not in whatever I've got. And that's really the, the benefit of it. The disadvantages is, of course, that um, without money, we don't have as much of a way to get things out there and tell people about it. Uh, and that's, of course, is the, the biggest problem with resources, whether they're good or not, is, is making sure that people know about them. So, yeah. so here we are on here the podcast are. telling you about it for and, free. And hoping you tell your friends too. Yes. Yeah. So that, I do think that we are really seeing a change. People are starting to pay attention to this issue at all different levels, from top of government on down. And... I do think it's time for teachers to be able to support teachers, and that's what our goal is, really. Well, great. I, I hope folks get a chance to check this out. If you go to the greenninja.org website and look at the top menu bar, there's something that says Climate Change Unit, and you can have a look at that. So on our next section, uh, where we talk about climate and the environment, we review some of the latest news in that area and talk about how to bring such topics into our schools and classrooms. So following up on the theme of monarchs, Can we talk a bit about the issue of monarch butterflies? Um, How are they doing, Matt? And what impact is climate change actually having on them? Oh, it's not, it's not pretty. It is definitely not pretty. Um, we, our climate change unit focuses mostly on the eastern monarchs uh, that, that, that overwinter in Mexico. But I live here in Eugene, you live here in California, where we have our own monarch population. And 
thanks to citizen science, which is actually a lot of the data that we use in the in the climate change unit is from citizen science, uh, where individual people are going out there and, and for years have been collecting data on monarchs. And so that's how we have information and how we can answer this question. How are the monarchs doing? We can answer it pretty well. Uh, you know, the, the data is amazing. The data is amazing. We, you know, with the California population, you can see every grove in California and how many butterflies visit each year. Uh, and we have a long, a long time series of that. The same thing with Cape May, where we look at monarch uh, butterflies in, in our climate change unit uh, in New Jersey. So there's amazing resources there. And here in California, we used to have, you know, some, a good year. Uh, might have been half a million, a million butterflies or more uh, were migrating in, into California. And uh, you know, two years ago, the number was 30,000 or so. And then the next year, also about 30,000. And where, you know, this is, this is clearly, this is bad. And then last year, I just looked this up and it was 2,000. We're almost like going down to three digits instead of you know, six digits and three orders of magnitude difference is, uh, is, is really just, there's, there's some big things going on. How much of this is just climate change and how much is, is other types of human activities? Uh, there's a lot of things and it's a really interesting system. You can learn about it in the, in the monarch unit where we look at not just the climate change aspects of it, but all the other human impacts of things. So it's a very complicated system, but at the same time, there's lots of levers that we can move to uh, to make an impact on it. Yeah. Uh, certainly, this project has made me much more conscious about monarchs. And I noticed that some of my neighbors are planting milkweed intentionally for the monarchs. Um, how, might we, how might teachers help students get more interested in this story? Yeah, well, this is, again, there's so many levers that we can move. Rather, it's, it's literally you can actually make a difference at this in your own backyard or schoolyard or school garden. Uh, and that's a really exciting thing to be able to be personally invested and then see the results of it. That's, you know, when we think about what does it mean to make a change, we are so much more satisfied when we see the results of that change. Yeah. And if you get to see a monarch butterfly fluttering through your school knowing that you planted milkweed. That's pretty amazing. That is an incredible... Uh, thing and now you know it doesn't mean you're saving the world uh, for you know it's not going to solve climate change. Mil planting milkweed will not solve climate change, people. But the point is, we're trying to establish this pattern of students feeling like they are change makers, students feeling empowered, students being aware, not apathetic, and seeing that it pays off in the end. Uh, and maybe it's going to be a longer payoff time period for climate change solutions than it is for monarch butterflies. But, but maybe that's uh, what it's going to take is we're going to have to yeah. plant the mul plant milkweed and, <laughs> and, and, and understand the system yeah. and, and what we can do to, to support it. Okay, well, let's shift to our final segment uh, where we talk about burritos and everything related to burritos. It's <laughs> been a while since we had that chance. Um, I had the opportunity to visit Matt and his family since I'm in town recently. And guess what they serve for dinner? Yes, burritos. And they were delicious. Matt, what was in those special burritos and who put together that masterpiece? <laughs> well, Eugene came over on Saturday night and Saturday night in our house is chef's choice. And my children rotate through uh, who gets to be the chef and they get to pick what they want and shop and they do the cooking and uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And so uh, one of my uh, children, my son, is, uh, his, his favorite thing to make is burritos. And he has a, his world-famous burrito recipe, which is all sorts of vegetables. We've got broccoli and cauliflower, bell peppers, carrots, 
uh, I forget exactly. I think it might be the main vegetables, onions. Um, and then he throws in uh, the, the pinto beans in there. He likes the pinto for that particular recipe. And then we had all these amazing salsas. Um, yes, we had a pico de gallo salsa that he made fresh and then just a store-bought uh, you know, a jar of salsa and um, served with a cashew cheese sauce on top. Uh, to, to So what was that? What, what is that sauce? It was it's, That was delicious sauce. It's, uh, so when I became vegan, I was very worried that I would not survive because I liked cheese like so many other people. And then I realized that cashew cheese and cashew-like cheese-like products, if you will, are, are super easy. And uh, so we just take a cup of cashews and like a cup or a half cup of, I forget exactly, of soy milk, blend them up, and it makes a, a creamy, delicious... It was uh, really thick. Thing. And it really thick. You, you, know, you vary the amount of, of liquid and the amount of cashews, and, and you get something that's just delicious. And it's so simple, and it's actually... it's. Cheaper than any of the store-bought things that you get. All these, all the that are all really most of the cheeses that you buy that are vegan cheese, quote unquote, uh, are are very processed, very salty, um, and pretty expensive. And and I actually think not very tasty. So <laughs> so yeah. uh, this is this has been my solution that has that has transformed my life. And uh, so that was our son's our son's burritos. Anyhow, they were delicious, and uh, and and we really enjoyed it. Well, that's a good place to stop. Thanks for joining us at Ask Matt, where we explore NGSS, science education, and the environment with education expert and nice guy Matt Talasio. Thanks, Matt, and uh, see you next time. Yeah, I hope we can spend more time together in person. The whole world's changing. Yeah, we'll do that. Thanks. <laughs>